I became the first black woman to raise more than a million dollars for a packaged food or beverage company. And our investment was led by Jay-Z's Marcy Venture Partners. So that was earth shatteringly huge in my world. Welcome to Shopify Masters, the weekly podcast brought to you by Shopify, your companion for starting and building businesses. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing their own businesses. I'm Shwain Gester Shan, and for this episode, we are joined by Denise Woodard, the founder and CEO of Partake Foods, the makers of treats that you can share with confidence as they are top eight allergen free. Denise shares with us her personal inspiration behind Partake Foods, how facing rejections from over 80 investors never stopped her business journey, and how she's using her platform to shed a light on other Black-owned businesses. Before our show, I wanted to chat about Shopify shipping. Did you know that you can buy shipping labels at home, print them with a regular printer, get shipping insurance within the United States, and receive discounted shipping rates through certain carriers with Shopify shipping? This is all included in your Shopify plan. There are no additional fees, accounts with carriers, or app required. So check out Shopify shipping at shopify.com ship. Now let's dig into the show. A common response after tasting Partake Foods is, how is this so good? With cookie flavors like birthday cake, ginger snap, and triple chocolate, these treats are free from nuts, eggs, dairy, and other allergens, and still manages to achieve the impossible task of, well, tasting like treats. For Denise Woodard, the founder of Partake Foods, this impossible mission had to be possible, all for the sake of her daughter, Vivian. Vivian's five now, but shortly after her first birthday, we had a really big scare with food allergies and we learned that she's allergic to most tree nuts, eggs, corn, and bananas. And Partake was born out of my frustration with the products that existed. Our nanny, Martha, who actually has some equity in the company, was like, your one-year-old has the most boring diet I've ever seen. And I started to explain to her why. Um, The products that I was finding did not meet my nutritional standards at all. I found that the gluten-free and vegan options that I expected to be healthier were oftentimes full of artificial ingredients and more sugar um, and worse than they're full of allergens counterparts. And then from a taste perspective, what I could find that met my nutritional needs, my daughter would literally refuse to eat. And then most of all, um, I started to realize how so many of her most fond childhood memories would involve food, whether it was playdates or birthday parties or holiday celebrations. And when she wasn't able to participate, it would probably wear on her self-confidence and create lots of feelings of anxiety and isolation around food. And while I was thankful to the solutions that existed for being safe, I didn't think they were particularly cool. They were food allergy brands that people with food allergies ate. And I dreamed of a brand that made products that tasted good, that had ingredients I felt good about sharing with my family, but was cool enough that someone without food allergies would choose to also eat it. And when I couldn't find it, I left my career at Coca-Cola to start Partake. I think anyone hearing this concept would know that this is such a cool concept, but it's definitely a really tough one to undertake. So how do you even begin starting with recipes or product developing all these cookies on your own? 
So Martha and I went to Whole Foods and spent hundreds of dollars and failed horribly. And then I realized why so many of the products that exist on the market have the same ingredients. It's really hard to make stuff that tastes good, that has good for you ingredients, but also avoids the top eight allergens. And thanks to a LinkedIn cold call, I found a product developer who was willing to get into the kitchen with me and work closely with me and bring my vision to, to life. I think a lot of founders find it hard to either ask for help and also find a partner. So what was it for you that it was like a key moment where you're like, you know what, this is an area where I need some expert advice and I need to find someone who has complementary skills. Initially, when I had the idea, I was a little leery of telling other people and someone I chatted with, um, I was still working full time at Coca-Cola and and someone there, I was telling them, I have this idea, but I don't know if I want to share it with people. And they gave this example of MySpace and Facebook. And they were like, in theory, they're very similar ideas and one exists now and one doesn't. And talked about how successful businesses were built off of execution. And he was like, I wouldn't worry about people stealing your idea. You should like shout it from the mountains and tell as many people as possible because you don't ever know where your greatest partner or your biggest help or your biggest ally will come from. And so I really took that advice to heart and still follow it. If I, I'm the first to admit there's so much I don't know. And so rather than spin my wheels, I, I just go out and look for help when, whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that because sometimes it's counterintuitive to share early. But I guess to your point, um, sharing early also gives you the opportunity to gain help and also expand. Um, So that's awesome. So once you had your partner, what was some of the first steps you guys took to bring those recipes into actual products? So the next big challenge we faced was where to make the products because there was no like point in making an allergy friendly product if you were going to make it in a facility that had a bunch of allergens in it. Um, And there's only a couple, literally like one to two in the country, um, manufacturers that can make cookies that are are top eight allergen free facilities. And they typically don't work with small startups. And so that was another cold, uh, cold email and lots of begging and pleading and sharing my business plan. And thankfully, um, the contract manufacturer that we dreamed of working with agreed to give us a try, give us a trial run. Um, and we still work with them today and they've been a phenomenal partner. So first it was, how do we make the product? And then the next big challenge was, where do we make the product? And then along this journey, I guess, which point did you actually leave your corporate career behind to pursue full-time? So very early, in the journey, like literally a couple weeks in, we were in line at the zoo on a Saturday and I was telling my husband, like, I really think this could turn into something. And the person who was in line in front of us turned around and said, it sounds like you have a great idea. There's a small business pitch competition for New Jersey businesses called the Start Something Challenge. You should enter. And that was a Saturday and the applications closed Monday evening. And I ended up applying and we ended up winning with just an idea. And that was fantastic because it gave me some validation. It also gave us some local press. And the last thing I needed was my boss to see me on TV saying, hey, I have this allergy friendly snack company. And so it forced me to tell my employer pretty early on what I was doing. And so while they were supportive, they were also like, there will be a conflict of interest if you're selling products to the same retailers you're selling beverages to. So once you actually have a product, you got to hit the road. And I think it was a blessing in disguise because I probably would have tried to turn partake into a side hustle and not really put my full energy into it um, just because I was very nervous to take the big leap. 
It's also cool to see that while you're at a weekend social outing, that the fact that you're just chatting about an idea, it could spark a conversation with like a complete stranger. So it really goes to show that you don't really have to keep your ideas a secret. Mm-hmm. So once you have the product, how do you then start getting people to carry it and develop those retailer relationships? So when we first launched Partake in August of 2017, we were self-funded outside of a small Kickstarter and self-distributed. So it was literally me keeping our products at a climate-controlled storage unit where I live in Jersey City. And I would show up every morning and I would fill up the back of my SUV and I would drive to natural food stores in New Jersey and New York. And I would go in with my cell sheet and my book bag and my samples and tell the retailer what I was doing and why I was doing it. And that's how we got into our first stores. My goal was to get into 50 stores by the end of the year and do, you know, five demos at each store to understand what people liked about our product, what they didn't like, what the reception was. And so for the first few months, it was literally just boots on the ground, me going into the stores um, one by one. After you start getting some traction, I know that, you know, there's so many media outlets that have chatted with you guys and featured you. Um, How did you go about managing those relationships and also kind of handling press as those opportunities comes in? So from a press perspective, we're really lucky now to work with a a PR freelancer who's been with us for the past year, and she really helps support us on that. Prior to that, it was just me handling it. We were, I was the only full-time employee at Partake until January of this year. Um, We had like fantastic outsource partners that we were working with for multiple uh, functional areas from accounting to social media. But really, it was just kind of me fielding them and and me just going out and telling my story. I do want to chat about being a mom and also an entrepreneur. I've talked to expecting moms and they talk about how there's kind of Matt leaves a very different situation and childcare is such a different game when you're managing a business. So how do you balance the two and make sure that both aspects of your life are progressing and intertwining in a healthy way? Definitely. I think COVID's definitely thrown a wrench into that um, because we, we don't have childcare and, you know, my daughter was at home with us for months and my husband also works. And so that was an interesting balance. But in our normal life, it's just really integrating the two. And so some days that means me waking up super early to work on partake so that I can take time to make my daughter breakfast and take her to school and attend any school program she has. Um, Or other times that means maybe we have to call a sitter in because it's a really busy day and I have a board meeting. So I, I think it's just prioritizing the two. My daughter's super involved in the business, like in a non COVID world. She works trade shows with us on the weekend. She's coming into stores with me to deliver product. So she definitely has seen the grind and is super into it and loves the fact that literally because of her food allergies, we we now have a cookie company. Mm -hmm. That's so much fun. Um, And so I do wanted to ask about some of the milestones that you really celebrate and some of the lessons along the way that, you know, they were more hurdles, but you are pretty appreciative of the fact they happened because they taught you something that otherwise wouldn't. From a milestone perspective, I, I think some of the early ones were literally like seeing our product on a store shelf for the first time. And then it was seeing our product on the store shelves of like a Whole Foods for the first time, 
which was definitely a surreal moment. Um, in June in 2019, I became the first black woman to raise more than a million dollars for a packaged food or beverage company. And our investment was led by Jay-Z's Marcy Venture Partners. So that was earth shatteringly huge in my world. Um, and then this summer has just been a whirlwind. We, we were on the Today Show and I appeared in the Jay-Z and Pharrell video for Entrepreneur. And so we've had a lot of um, great stuff come our way. And then it's allowed us to do a lot of stuff that I'm very proud of. We partner with a nonprofit called the Food Equality Initiative. They provide food to food insecure families that manage food allergies. The founder, Emily Brown, her family was experiencing food insecurity and her kids have food allergies and they went to their local food bank and there was literally two items that her kids could safely eat. And that's just not okay. Um, And so in partnering with them, as our business has grown, we fed thousands of families, which is something I'm so proud of and excited about. But there's definitely been lots and lots of hurdles along the way, um, particularly around raising capital. Uh, Initially, the business was self-funded. And then we, about a year after launching, went into a region of Whole Foods and we went into Wegmans and the business started to get a bit more expensive to run. And I started dipping into my 401k. I ended up selling my engagement ring. Um, We were working to um, raise a friends and family round. But I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Like I don't have very many accredited investors in my family. And so as the money came in in dribs and drabs, um, we were just fighting to keep the business going. So I I learned a lot of uh, resilience and grit at that point. Um, And then as we were able to get that done, we went out and tried to raise a seed round of funding. And I have a spreadsheet that I still have on my desktop that has 86 no's of, you know, it's too early. I don't think the market's big enough. And, you know, what I learned was everything happens the way that it's supposed to. And in time, if you continue to stay true to your mission and your values of who you are as a person, who you are as a company, I couldn't dream of better partners in terms of the investors that we currently have. But if you had told me this is what was going to happen while I was getting those knows day after day after day, I would have never believed you. Even though that million dollar investment or feature in Pharrell and Jay-Z's music video are monumental achievements that Denise didn't anticipate while facing those rejections, those knows never deterred Denise because her dedication to Vivian always kept her going. For those investors that you had to face those no's and go through those pitch meetings, what is it that keeps you going forward? Because it is very daunting to constantly get um, feedback that doesn't kind of help you to move forward. I think there's a couple of things. One is my daughter, like she's only five, but she definitely understands what's going on. And to be able to look her into the eyes and tell her that this company I started because I loved you so much and I want something better for you. I quit because people told me no, I just couldn't do that. Um, And then looking at other people like her, other women, other people of color, and knowing how dismal the statistics are and knowing how close we are in in terms of having a breakthrough for our brand, in terms of the traction that we're getting. And for me to not like give it everything I have to keep going is just not something I, I would be comfortable with. Thank you for all that you guys are doing. There's also a lot of sharing your platform and offering a spotlight on other business owners um, who are black, indigenous and people of color. Tell us a little bit why it's so important for you to kind of share the stage and offer a voice for other business owners. I feel like there's no benefit to my success if I can't make other people successful, other people who don't have the platform or the privilege that that we do. And I'm just such a strong believer in lifting 
lifting as you climb. And there's so many people, women, men, white, black, who poured so much of their social capital and find investors who believed in me when we didn't have a ton of traction, people, successful business owners who are willing to talk to me when I know they have a calendar full of events. And I feel like if I'm not willing to do the same thing, that, that's just not right. I, I feel like a very strong responsibility and pressure to support women, to support people of color, to support entrepreneurs out there who are doing the work day in and day out to, to make their dream a reality. I know that a lot of the growth initially is done by you yourself driving out, visiting those retailers. At which point did you realize that you need to step back a little bit and start expanding your team and um, kind of give away the control a little bit? I'm still learning that as we go. I think we're, we're still a pretty lean, mean team. We have three full-time employees, so I'm still very much hands-on in the business. Um, but I'm starting to working really hard to work on the business and not in the business and really just work on the strategic vision I have for the company. Um, I really believe that Partake has the, the potential to be a platform brand that makes a lot of products outside of just cookies. And so working to make that a reality and coming out and, and chatting with folks and just like really spreading um, what we're doing at Partake, I think is so important. And so as I spend more time doing that, we do need to build out the team. And so we're actually in the process of doubling the team right now, which I'm super excited about. Mm -hmm. And I love that, like working on the business, not in the business, which is something I guess a lot of founders are trying to come to terms with. What about on the marketing front? Because a, a lot of stuff initially is you um, doing pitch competitions or visiting retailers. Um, at which point did you start thinking about things more of a campaign perspective and spending a little bit more in ad dollars and things like that? I think it's really started to turn on this year. So this year we launched Target nationally. We expanded with retail partners like Whole Foods and the Fresh Market and Sprouts. And so now that people are able to find us in such a wide swath of stores, we've really started to do larger national campaigns. Um, even last year, though, as soon as we started to get presence in retailers, we were doing marketing because I think, you know, some oftentimes, particularly in food and beverage, people think the hard work is getting on the shelves, but the hard work really begins as once you get on the shelves and getting the product off the shelves and to move and to get the products into consumers' mouths. And so um, in a pre-COVID world for us, that looked like a lot of demos and consumer-facing trade shows. We've really pivoted for all of that to be digital now. And whether that's Instacart advertising or Google ads or paid social, um, we, we're really doing a lot of testing to find what works best for our brand, but we've moved all of that digital now. Mm -hmm. And what are some of like the key lessons you learned on this digital pivot and some things that you're like, huh, this is something I didn't know before, but it's interesting within this digital space. I definitely underestimated email, which really doesn't cost us very much money. And for us, it's been the most valuable channel from a digital perspective. So really nurturing our email list and our community and trying to continuously grow that list um, has been something that we've been really hard at work at. Um, and then also getting really close to the point of sale. It's one thing to run an awareness ad, but if you can be on a platform like Instacart or an online grocer where someone Someone's actually doing their shopping and show up high in the results. I, there's definitely a likely, a higher likelihood to convert. And I think there's affordable ways to do that. And so that's been a pleasant surprise. Mm -hmm. So yeah, less inertia for them to make that purchase. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to ask about, you know, those 
um, large nationally distributed retailer relationships. Um, what are some things that you think entrepreneurs in this space, when they're approaching those relationships, what are some key things they should look out for? I think definitely recognize that it takes time. We launched Target nationally in May of this year. We met the folks from Target in the bathroom line of the Expo West trade show in 2017 and have been nurturing that relationship ever since and continuing to give them updates on our progress and our products. And so I think this idea that like the accounts happen overnight um, is a bit false. And then I think being ready to do business with them. I think last year, like, you know, we there were retailers we presented to where I was like, gosh, I wish we would have gotten in in 2019, but we weren't ready as a company. We didn't have the internal bandwidth. And it's not often that you're going to get more than one shot with some of the large retailers. So make sure you're ready to put your best foot forward, that you have everything buttoned up from a supply chain perspective, that you have the marketing budget ready to support the accounts because because once you get your chance, it's showtime. Wow. That's crazy to think that was a three years in the making scenario. Has it been other circumstances where with a retailer, they only give you a few stores and then they see how you perform and then they'll give more opportunities as um, sales roll in? That's definitely the norm. And, you know, that's what happened with us at Whole Foods. They were our first chain account. We got 43 stores across the Southwest in the summer of 2018. And then in early 2020, we added another 40 stores. And then later this year, we added another couple hundred. And so it's typically exactly what you described. You'll get a small amount of stores to test in. The retailer will want to see your performance, and then you'll continue to get expansion from there if you're performing well. Is there any different behaviors from region to region? Is there anything you do while you're managing kind of this nationwide relationship? We're still playing with the region to region. This is the first year. So just gosh, it's been about three months that our brand's been available nationally. And so we're still learning ourselves kind of how each region differs, particularly in COVID. We've definitely seen it, though, as different parts of the country have experienced, um, you know, different stages of the outbreak, what our velocities look like when people are willing to go into stores more or not going into stores or shopping online. And so that's been really interesting to see. The ability to adapt quickly and adjust to the ever-changing landscape of consumer packaged goods is something Denise honed over the years in her corporate career working for established brands. I worked for Coca-Cola. Um, I spent some time in their venturing and emerging brands group. And then I also spent time working on some of their trademark brands like Coke Diet, Coke and Sprite and how they protect that brand experience. I think oftentimes entrepreneurs think of brand as my logo or my website or just my packaging. But I think it's every single touch point that a consumer has with your brand. It's the response to a customer service email. It's the interaction they have at an in-person trade show. It's the comment that you respond to them with on social media and making sure that it's a very cohesive message and that every touch point really represents who you are as a company and as a brand and protecting that no matter how big you get, I think is something I learned. And then as much as some of the processes and hierarchies bothered me at the time, I realized a lot of them exist for a reason, particularly around quality, food safety, and especially with us dealing with a, a product that's free of allergens and making you know very substantial claims around that, making sure that our su supply chain is as tight as possible, that we have all the documentation that we're tracing every single lot. And, you know, I think both of those things, even when we were a tiny bootstrapped company, were things that I considered like absolutely mission critical. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that seamless interaction, that representation of Partake Foods, how do you make sure that everyone who is representing the brand and working with
if you have that same, I guess, like spirit or personality, because it is tough for you as you're stepping back and giving areas of responsibility to other individuals to make sure like they all carry the same voice almost. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely going to be a challenge as we continue to grow. And it's the thing that keeps me up at night because I I started this company for a very personal reason. um, And I want to make sure that our mission continues to we continue to stay true to our mission no matter how big we get. Um, You know, right now, I think it's a lot of leading by example. When I think about what our values are as a company, I just try to live those in and out, day in, day out with our team members so they feel comfortable and vulnerable enough to also do the same as they're dealing with internal and external stakeholders and our customers. And so I think it really starts with the founder and and the leadership of the company. Mm -hmm. Awesome. As you're scaling and growing, has there been any apps or tools that helped you along the way or things that you recommend um, other founders to take a look at or maybe adopt into their business? I will say I'm definitely not the most tech savvy, um, but we really lean heavily on the Google suite of services in terms of like Google Calendar and Google Hangouts and Google Docs and Google Sheets. I feel like we could run our entire business with kind of the Google suite of products, which is really nice as a scrappy startup because there isn't much cost associated with them, if any. Um, And they're tools that are easy for even someone who's like completely tech illiterate like myself to use. I think we find the same with Shopify. Like I've always find myself checking it on my phone or my computer. And it's like, once again, I'd never sold anything online before, but you all make it so easy to to understand what's happening, to track analytics. And so working with uh, vendor partners like Shopify and like G Suite to to find solutions that work for a tiny company, but also that we can continue to scale with. Mm -hmm. Now, looking forward, what are some plans or projects that you're working on that you're able to share with us? I'm excited to share that we just launched our first um, seasonal skews. So we launched a pumpkin spice that's available on our website right now. And then we're launching another holiday cookie um, later this fall. And we're launching our first product that's not a cookie. Um, it'll be an e-com only offering available on our website, partakefoods.com starting next month. Cool. And what was the decision behind having a online only offering? I feel like with the analytics we're able to see from Shopify, we're able to get so much data around where our consumer is, who our consumer is, how often they're purchasing. That will then allow us to make the decision, like, do we want to take this into retail? If so, do we take it to a regional retailer? Because, oh, we saw it does really well in Florida or in Texas or whatever that market may be. And so I think by launching it online initially, it'll give us, there'll be less pressure and it'll give us the opportunity to have a lot of learnings before we take it into a broader market. Very cool. I do want to ask a little bit about COVID because I think initially people only thought of COVID times as a period where you're shopping for the essentials, maybe just, you know, groceries and the necessities. Were you nervous at all during the outbreak? And how did you navigate this as a business owner? One of the things I was most concerned about was making sure our manufacturing partners and our team members were staying safe and healthy. Um, Thankfully, everyone was safe and healthy throughout the entire period. Um, We also saw a lot of pantry loading, particularly with an allergy-friendly product. I think anytime there's like a mass rush to the grocery store, people with food allergies wonder like, will there be enough left for me? Because, you know, if there's only a couple safe things you can eat, you want to make sure you've stocked up. And we definitely saw the pantry loading on our website. 
But then as different areas started to close down, we started to see a slowdown in velocity. And so we started to think, think about, you know, how do we nurture our customer? How do we remind them that they're, we're here so that they'll continue to purchase? Um, and then there was a big change in our business in terms of um, when, when George Floyd was killed, there was a larger amplification on Black-owned businesses and a larger con- conversation about race in America, um, which created kind of another surge of demand for our products. Mm-hmm. When you do get all this attention and also having this chance to be exposed to these consumers, I guess, what is important for you during the next stage of change, both for retailers that they can take on and maybe what consumers can do as well? I think consumers can definitely continue to vote with their wallet. I think as a brand and a business, it's my responsibility. Um, Earlier, you mentioned lifting up other brands and how we're amplifying other brands. And that's one of the major reasons that we're doing it. Because while I'm really excited about the attention we've gotten, it's really frustrating and saddening that we are one of the few. And I wish there were other brands to share the spotlight. And so I'm hoping that this time um, creates that opportunity. I hope that retailers and investors put their money where their social media is and actually like start to make quantifiable decisions and set metrics around what types of programming and change they're going to make happen so so that the numbers do change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of small steps, but those steps have to start uh, in order for a bigger picture of a change and movement. So I definitely really appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, I definitely think I've indulged in all the questions that I wanted to ask. Is there any other areas that we didn't highlight that you want kind of touch on? Not to be cheesy, but like if you believe it, you can do it. I've never done this before. Like I spent my entire career in corporate America. I'd never even managed a person before, let alone run a company. But it was something that I was passionate about and a product that I believed in and that I felt like was was needed um, because I was living that experience. And I figured it out along the way by asking for help, by being vulnerable um, and by just continuing to push. So like, if I can do it, like anyone can. No, I love that. And I think it's important to be cheesy and remind listeners of that. So I think by you taking a chance, you're definitely defying a lot of the stereotypes. And that just is proving that it is possible. And it doesn't really matter which life stage or which business idea that you do have. I agree. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to tell you more. Thank you so much for sharing your platform with me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Denise. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Shopify Masters. My name is Shwang Esther Shan. If you enjoyed Denise's journey and want to share her lessons with fellow entrepreneurs, please give us a review on your listening platform so the show can be discovered by other business owners. Until next time on Shopify Masters.